Well, welcome. Welcome to those of you watching in The Point or watching online. want to encourage you today. No matter what's going on in your life, no matter what you've done or what's been done to you, it is never too late to turn to God. It's never too late to see God intervene. It's never too late to see God perform a breakthrough or even a miracle. I know sometimes in life we get stuck and I was thinking about you all this week and just praying for you and asking God to connect with you in this time. And it actually reminded me of this Ford commercial where everyone is stuck. Go ahead and take a look and see if you relate at all to this. I love the big wheel moment because this is how life feels sometimes, right? You get tipped over and you're just stuck. And for some of you where you're tipped over, it's something at work or it's with your house. For others, it's major things in your marriage or even the loss of a loved one. Life just tips us over sometimes. And in this series, we're learning how do we tap into God's power? How do we really access his help when we're tipped over? I don't know for you where you're tipped over right now, but I know that as we look into God's word today, he wants to speak to you. He wants to encourage you. You know, there's a family in our church, Shannon and Mark Johnson. They're actually serving today. Shannon put my microphone on. Mark is running one of the switcher boards in our audiovisual uh, team. And they had a baby about a year ago named Bryson. And when Bryson was born, he was born incredibly premature. In fact, for the longest time, the doctors didn't know if he was going to live. And I've watched Shannon and Mark walk through a season where they didn't know if their son was going to live. And then as he endured there in the neonatal intensive care unit, they didn't know, will our son ever come home? And I've seen Shannon and Mark live out what we're about to learn today. They're living proof that no matter where life tips you over, you can turn to God. And I'll update you on Bryson's story at the end of our time. But right now, I want to talk about you. Where is it that life has tipped you over? Where is it that you could use a miracle or a breakthrough from God? Last week, we learned that when there's pain in our life, we're so tempted to gloss over it and just kind of medicate ourselves with social media or with materialism or other things, but that part of us getting a breakthrough is feeling the pain. We feel it, and then we bring it to God. And so I hope you've brought with you today some broken thing in your life where you want to see God do a miracle. And here's the question we're asking, where you have a need, where that thing is broken down in your life or tipped over, how do you see God do a miracle? I mean, what can you do to align yourself, to set yourself up? And we've been studying this true story of Nehemiah because he needed a miracle. 
In fact, what was broken down for him, it was an entire city of Jerusalem. These big stone walls had been physically broken down. And Nehemiah was hundreds of miles away, and it was on his heart to rebuild this. And every one of us in here, God's put something on our heart to either rebuild or to build. And Nehemiah was in a situation where only a miracle could have rebuilt the walls. He's hundreds of miles away. He's working for a pagan king who doesn't care about Jerusalem. And he feels the pain. He brings it to God. And today we're going to learn what he did next and what you can do next to see God do a miracle in your life. Let's pick up in verse 11 of Nehemiah chapter 1. He's praying to God. And here's what he says. Oh Lord, please hear my prayer. Listen to the prayers of those of us who delight in honoring you. In other words, Nehemiah, he's not just, God, I'm just going to live my own life. Please bless everything I do. But he's saying, God, I want to do your work in my life. This passion on my heart to rebuild Jerusalem, it's because you care about it. And then he says this, a very specific request. Please grant me success today. Have you ever prayed that way? God, would you grant me success? And then he asks God, here's exactly how I'd like you to grant me success. Would you make the king favorable to me? This king who's over about 28 different nations in his empire, and he doesn't really care about Jerusalem or the Jewish people or the city of God, but would you somehow, would you put it in his heart to be kind to me? Now, Nehemiah prays this knowing he's asking for a miracle. It's not naturally going to be in the heart of this king to care about Jerusalem. So he asks God, God, would you do that miracle? And then he explains, in those days, I was the king's cupbearer. Now, a cupbearer, you might know, is the person who ate a little bit of the king's food and drank a little bit of his wine before the king, so that if it was poisoned, the cupbearer would die instead of the king. Now, you might think when you see this, okay, so the king is like his buddy, and he's going to go ask for a favor, but I want to put some context about how terrifying it would have been for Nehemiah to bring up what's broken in his heart to the king. Uh, this king is a well-documented historic figure. His name is Artaxerxes. And here's a picture of a Hollywood depiction of Artaxerxes' dad, whose name was Xerxes. This was a massive empire that controlled most of Egypt, Ethiopia, Iran, Syria, a whole bunch of the ancient world. And this was a dictator tyrant who was completely unchecked in his power and in his appetites. Now, here's a little bit of history for you. Xerxes ends up getting murdered by his personal bodyguard. There's a palace guard whose job is to protect Xerxes. And the, the bodyguard kills Xerxes. Xerxes' son, Artaxerxes, sees this. And about a month later, Artaxerxes gets a sword, and in hand-to-hand -hand combat with the top bodyguard, he kills the bodyguard, he prevails, and he becomes the king of the empire. So Nehemiah is working for a king who's literally a killer. This is a guy, he has complete access to anything he wants. Anything he wants sexually, anything with animals and exotic animals and slaves and war. And it means just this bloody powerful king. And Nehemiah is right there at his right hand watching every feast this king Artaxerxes has. And Nehemiah knows Artaxerxes, not only did he murder to get in his position of power, but he's also got some trust issues. He's got a little bit of PTSD, right? Because he saw his dad get betrayed by his personal bodyguard. And so now Nehemiah has to go to a violent, murderous king who has PTSD and trust issues and say, hey, could I go rebuild the empire of my ancestors? 
And he knows that humanly, he's either going to get killed or he's going to get a no. It's going to take a divine intervention. Here's a picture of Artaxerxes' tomb today. Just always like to point out as we read the word of God that these are real people who really live. These are not myths. You can go visit that today if you want. The point is, as Nehemiah prays, he says, God, will you do a miracle? Then he starts to say, God, soften the king's heart to care about this. And then he commits and he says, God, if you open the door for me to talk with the king about this, I will commit and step through. And here's the thing for you where you'd like to see a breakthrough in your life. You'd like to see God do a miracle. To see that, you have to commit. To see God really do something in your marriage or to see him really transform your finances or to see him really change your thought life. Or to see him get you into a career where you're not just kind of punching a clock, but you love what you do. It's what you were created to do. To see God do a miracle in your life, you've got to commit. Nehemiah committed. He said, God, it's life or death for me to talk to that king. But if you'll soften his heart, I will talk to him. And Nehemiah actually prays that prayer for six months before anything happens. Six months of praying, and it seems like nothing's happening. And maybe that's where you're at. Maybe you're like, you know, I've been praying. I've been trying to do it God's way. Be encouraged today. Keep stepping forward. Keep committing. Say, I'm going to do my marriage God's way. I'm going to do my finances God's way. I'm going to arrange my thought life God's way. And as you commit, you align and you step in so that you can see a miracle. You know, very often when Jesus walked this earth, people would come to him for a healing. Maybe they were blind or they had a relative who was sick. And very often Jesus would say this, he would say, as you believe, so it will be done unto you. In other words, do you really believe? And if so, I'll do the miracle. But here's the thing, they showed their belief by walking to him. They showed their belief with their feet. And we're going to see that when you pray for God to provide a breakthrough, he'll open a door. The question is, do you have your shoes laced up? Are you ready to walk through it? Are you ready to commit? Well, let's continue here in this story. Nehemiah prays for six months, God, would you move the heart of this king? And in Nehemiah chapter two, we see the moment when God opens the first door in a chain of events that will lead to a miracle. Early the following spring, in the month of Nisan, during the 20th year of King Artaxerxes' reign, I was serving the king his wine. And then Nehemiah says this, I had never before appeared sad in his presence. You see, every slave... Every bodyguard, every cupbearer who was allowed into the king's presence, they were trained to never frown. They were trained to never be sad. And it's not an exaggeration that Nehemiah had likely seen someone be sad in the king's presence and the king be so upset that he just snapped his fingers and they were killed. I mean, that's how unchecked the power of these tyrants was. And so Nehemiah, he decides, you know what, God, I'm praying for you to do a miracle. And for whatever reason, he feels led to just go ahead and let the king see that he's sad. So the king asked me, why are you looking sad? You don't look sick to me. You must be deeply troubled. And at this point, Nehemiah is like, oh my goodness, what's going to happen here? Look at the next verse. It says, then I was terrified. Then I was terrified. I want to encourage you today, as you seek God in any area of your life, you bring him your pain, and, and you start to say, God, I'm going to do what you want me to do. Guess what? You may have a moment where you're terrified, or a moment where you doubt, or a moment where you're unsure. 
Sometimes we think, if I was really spiritual, then whenever I follow God, it'll be easy. But we know from Nehemiah's life, in fact, it's true of every hero in the word of God, they felt fear, they felt doubt, they felt insecurity, just like you and just like me, by the way. And Nehemiah says in this moment, he says, I was terrified. I mean, this king who can kill me for being sad in his presence is like, why are you sad? You don't look sick to me. And in this moment, Nehemiah feels this overwhelming fear, and he could have backpedaled. He could have been like, oh, you know what? Yeah, sorry, sorry, sorry for frowning. My bad. Happy face. Everything's okay. He could have done that. But he'd been praying for six months for a breakthrough. God opens the door, and even though he's terrified, he steps forward. He says, I'm committed. God, you've opened the door. I'm going to explain why it is that I'm sad to this king. I was thinking about this word committed, and my kids were actually watching a TV show with Bear Grylls. Here's a picture of Bear Grylls. Maybe you've seen the show Man vs. Wild. Now he's got a show on Netflix called You vs. Wild, and my kids love it because he'll get out in some survival scenario, and then there's two choices. And you take your remote and you pick A or B, and either you survive or you don't, based on which one you picked. And the other day, they were watching You versus Wild, and Bear Grylls, he needs to go down this cliff, but there's nothing to anchor his rope to at the top. So he takes this little canteen, and he wraps the rope around the canteen, and he buries it in the snow and packs the snow down really hard. And it's like, do you think this is going to hold him if, you go, if he goes down the cliff? So he's going over the edge, repelling, and there's this moment where he says in his British accent that I won't attempt to impersonate, where he says, you know, for a while he's pulling on the rope, but he could still lean forward and save himself, right, if the rope doesn't hold. But there's this specific moment where he goes back and he says, now I'm committed. In other words, if this rope doesn't hold me, I'm going to fall and die. And it's similar if you really want to see God do a miracle in your marriage, in your career, in your finances, in any area of your life, that you step out in a way that says, God, I'm committed I'm believing you're going to hold me. I'm going to do some things. I'm going to step forward in some ways that show that you must be on my side. And that's exactly what Nehemiah does. When the king says, why are you sad? And he could have backpedaled. Instead, he says this. He says, long live the king. That's how old this phrase is, by the way. Long live the king. How can I not be sad? For the city where my ancestors are buried, that's Jerusalem, is in ruins. And the gates have been destroyed by fire. Now look at this miracle, the first in a chain of miracles as God answers Nehemiah's prayers. The king asked, well, how can I help you? This is not a king who goes around to people saying, how can I help you? I'm here to serve. <laughs> but God, for six months, Nehemiah's been praying. In fact, he says, I prayed night and day. God has softened the king's heart. And look at this response. Maybe you've had a conversation like this with someone where you pray and you pray and they're closed and all of a sudden the door opens and you're like, oh God, help me to not mess this up. You know, maybe you're in your sales and it's like, God, help me to close the sale. Or maybe it's someone you've been telling about Jesus and they just hate God. They want nothing to do with it. And all of a sudden they're like, you know, I was thinking about Jesus. And you're like, oh God, help me get this right. It's exactly what Nehemiah does. He says, with a prayer to the God of heaven. <laughs> like, okay, he's interested. God, help me to not mess this up. If it please the king, he replies, and if you're pleased with me as your servant, would you send me to Judah? This is hundreds of miles away, so your favorite cupbearer is not going to be around to eat your food and test it for a while. Send me there so I can rebuild the city where my ancestors are buried. 
Well, the king with the queen sitting beside him asked, how long will it take you? And when will you return? And after I told him how long I'd be gone, the king agreed to my request. And what's amazing is now, Nehemiah, I'm going to summarize, he even steps further forward. He says, and king, if it's not too much, could I use the royal lumberyard? And could you give me some letters of passage as I go through these different territories? And the king agrees to it all. And it shows that as Nehemiah was praying for six months, he was preparing. In other words, he was saying, God, when you open the door and the king says, how long will it take? I'll have my answer ready. And I'll know exactly what I want to ask him. You know, some of us, if it was me, maybe I would have prayed for six months and God opens the door and then it's like, oh, how long will it take? You know, uh, can I get back to you about that? But Nehemiah, he's been praying with a faith that prepares. Here's a by the way as you seek a miracle in your life. God's miracles often emerge later than you want. Not always. Sometimes they're instant, but very often they emerge later than you'd like. Often they take longer than you'd like. Right? Nehemiah didn't pray, God, soften the king's heart, and the next day have the conversation. It was six months of praying. And very often they'll involve people you'd never expect. Who would have thought that a pagan king would be the one to rebuild the city of God in Jerusalem? And when you follow God's plan and do it his way, his miracles end up being far bigger. So for Nehemiah, he just wants to rebuild the walls. But in the end, even though it takes longer and uses people he wouldn't have expected, not only do they rebuild the walls, they reassemble the nation. And a prophet named Ezra is going to join him and they're going to have a spiritual revival and the rebirth of God's movement and God's people. I wonder how this idea might apply to the miracle that you're seeking and praying for. Well, let me give you two commitments that Nehemiah made, two commitments you can make to align yourself for a miracle. What's a miracle? A miracle is any time where God intervenes and does something that only he could have done. And the first is this, you commit to prayer. And interestingly, this isn't just a prayer of just, you know, God, thanks for this food. It's a good day. You're a good God. That's, that's good to pray that, okay? But this is a very specific kind of prayer. Nehemiah, over and over, he's going to pray to, quote, the God of heaven. In fact, just in the first two chapters, he uses that phrase four or five times. Throughout the book, he uses it a whole bunch of times. Why does Nehemiah always call God the God of heaven? What's he getting at? Well, here's the thing. Artaxerxes looked like a God. In fact, at that time in history, pharaohs and emperors like this, they would call themselves gods. And Artaxerxes looked like a god, and Nehemiah was right there with the front row seat of his godlike powers. But here's what Nehemiah knew. There's actually a higher power than Artaxerxes. There's a god of heaven who someday Artaxerxes will die and God will outlive him. There's a god of heaven who has the power to work in the heart of Artaxerxes. And so as you're praying, you're not just praying, you're praying to the god of heaven. In other words, where your situation seems stuck because of maybe something that's happened or some circumstance, or maybe there's a person who's blocking your situation, you pray to the God of heaven, believing that he's big enough to intervene, to change, to fix. Look at just a few examples of this in Nehemiah chapter 1. It says he prayed to the God of heaven. He says, oh Lord, God of heaven. He says he's praying night and day for these six months. And over and over he says, oh Lord, please hear my prayer. So the miracle begins with a prayer of faith expressed daily over six months to the God of heaven. There's a verse in the book of Psalms that says, do not put your trust in princes. In other words, don't put your hope in people. Why? Because all people are flawed. 
even if there's like a really good-hearted person, they're going to die eventually. Everyone is limited in their power and in their goodness except for the God of heaven. And so maybe it is in your situation, you've been just so focused on changing a person or changing something in your circumstances. And God says, I want you to start praying higher. I want you to start praying to me, the God of heaven. Don't put your hope in that person. Don't put your trust in some resource. Put your trust in the God of heaven. You know, God wants you to be free and fulfilled. Jesus said, I've come to give life and life to the full. Doesn't mean we won't have problems in this world, but as we're filled with the Spirit of God, and as we walk with God, there's a joy and there's a freedom. Even when we're going through cancer treatment, even when we're going through difficult times, God wants you to have a free and fulfilling life. How do you tap into his power for your life? It's through these daily prayers. Our Father who art in heaven, Jesus taught us to pray. God, you're big. God, you're powerful. God, you're above and over this situation. You can work a miracle. You can do this. I've seen this happen. Actually, we see it here every week, but I'll just tell you one story. This room is full of families like this, but I want to show you the Venant family. Here's the Venant family, and God has done miracles in the hearts of this family in the last year. Great people, model people, but like all of us have a deep need for Jesus. And Jill, the mom, for many years has prayed prayers of faith to the God of heaven, saying, God, I love my family, but I can't change my husband's heart or my teenager's heart. We all know you can't change a teenager's heart, right? Only God can do that. And it's the same in our marriages. And it was a great family, but Jill was praying daily, God, I want them to really have an encounter with you. I want them to experience you. I want them to know the deep joy and fulfillment of a personal relationship with you. Well, as Jill prayed that this last February, her husband, John, God had this week in February where he just intervened in John's life. And he came up to me after one of our messages during the Jesus Loves Me series, and he was in tears, and he said, I've been going to church for 10 years, but today I get it. Today I believe for me, not because of my wife or anyone else. Today I get it. Jesus is God, and he died for me, and I believe. And it was this breakthrough in his life. It was this breakthrough, and as, as we got John, started to get him in a discipleship relationship with other men in the church, and this family said, you know what, we want God to be in charge of our finances. So they started through our financial peace class, which is available today for you. They said, we want God to be in charge of our marriage. And even our family, we just, we want to see God's blessing in every part of our life. Well, pretty soon after that, Katie, their daughter, expressed to her dad, she said, you know, I, I, I like church, I like it all, but what if Jesus didn't exist? I mean, what if it's all made up? So John shares this with a guy who's discipling him. That guy tells me, I say, hey, I just wrote a book about that that's going to come out in October called Jesus Skeptic, where we look at, you know, do we know for sure that he lived? How do we know his followers have done good or bad in history, etc.? So we gave Katie an early copy of that book. And she comes into the office one day and she says, I started the book as a skeptic, now I'm a believer. God does a similar work in the heart of Molly. And the dad and both daughters got baptized here right around Easter time. And this family, here's, here's what's amazing. As the mom has prayed a prayer of faith, God has worked in a way that only he could work. And I'm not saying if you believe in Jesus that you'll never have problems again. But here's what I am saying. When you go his way in life, he does provide, he does open doors. 
through financial peace. This family's in way better position than they've ever been before. John got a new job and then he got promoted. Now they've moved into a new home. Their whole life is taking a different trajectory and it all started with the prayers of a mom who said, I'm going to pray to the God of heaven. Here's my question for you where you seek a miracle in your life. Do you want it bad enough to pray for it every day? Do you want it bad enough? Now, I know a lot of people say, well, you know, when do you pray? Well, all throughout the day, I talk to God, I walk with God. That is great. That's ideal. But here's what I know for me. I try to talk to God throughout the day, and I do, but I have one time every day where I know I'm not going to miss it, and that's right before I go to bed. It's kind of old school, but I just kneel physically at the side of my bed, and that's the time where I say, God, before my head hits the pillow, there's a few things that I just need to say, God of heaven, I need you to work in my heart about these things. I need you to work in our church about these things. I need you to work in our family about these things. And do you care enough? Do you want it badly enough to pray every day to the God of heaven? And actually say, God, I know you can do this. Do you want it that bad? Did you know every year there's people who play the lottery and who win, but who don't cash in their ticket? And this is what happens to some of us. We pray up a prayer, and six months or a year later, God opens the door to answer that prayer, but we've got ADD, and we've moved on to the next thing. And it's when you're praying daily, and you're saying, God, answer the prayer. Show me when you open the door. Help me to be ready to walk through the door. Then he opens the door, and you see it, and you walk through it. It starts with prayer. Well, there's a second commitment to align yourself for a miracle, and that's to commit to action. Commit to action. In other words, God, when you open a door, I'm going to be ready to walk through it. We saw this with Nehemiah. God ends up providing the open door, the resources. As Nehemiah travels to Jerusalem, God's going to provide the team. But every step of the way, there's opposition. Every step of the way, there's distraction. Every step of the way, there's something where Nehemiah could have backpedaled out of it. But he says, God, I'm committed not just in prayer, but also in action. And when you open a door, I'm going to step forward through it. By the way, congratulations to you because you stepped through a door today, didn't you? You're in here or you're watching this and that means you're stepping forward towards God. So keep praying and keep stepping forward and seeing, God, where are you going to open a door? You know, in chapter 2 of Nehemiah, I counted 20 action verbs. Nehemiah says, I went, I traveled to the city, I spoke, I replied. He's doing action. So he's praying for God to do his part. But then he's doing Nehemiah's part. It's an old saying, do your best and give to God the rest. Pray for God to intervene and then pray with your shoes laced up. Pray ready to move into action. Well, three specific ways you can move into action. The first is to claim God's word about your crisis. And especially if you feel like, okay, I want to move into action, but every door is locked and deadbolted and there's no door I can walk through. Well, this is a door that's always open. Claim the word of God about your specific situation. In other words, what does scripture say about my marriage? What does scripture say about my finances or about my thought life? The area of my life that's broken, what does the word of God say about it? Because look at this. This is where Nehemiah starts. In chapter 1, verses 8 and 9, this is the middle of Nehemiah's prayer. And he says this, God, remember what you told your servant Moses. And now he's going to quote the Bible. Nehemiah is quoting scripture that precedes him and predates him. He says, God, you said, people of God, if you return to me, I will bring you back to the place I've chosen for you. That's Jerusalem. 
and chosen for my name to be honored. So as Nehemiah is praying, he's searching the scripture for the heart of God. And he says, God, you promised that if everyone would repent and return to you and gather back in Jerusalem, you'd rebuild the city. So he's claiming a promise. I wonder, do you have a promise from the word of God for your situation? Now, I'll tell you the answer. You do. Maybe you just haven't found it yet. The word of God is full of promises. The prophet Jeremiah says this, I know the plans I have for you, not to harm you, but to prosper you. Book of Philippians says this, he who began a good work in you, he will be faithful to complete it. All sorts of promises about your soul, about your mind, about your relationships, about even your career and your well-being in life, all sorts of promises. Have you claimed one? If you say, I don't even know where to start, go to our Connection Corner today. We'd love to get you a life application study Bible where you can look up any topic in the back. You can find God's promises. Or join one of our groups, our marriage class, our parenting class, our finance class, our grief share class, divorce care. Every one of those, you'll get in a room with other believers who can say, here are the promises of God for what you're going through. That's a door that's open to you today. I saw Travis and Chelsea Farmer live this out in the last couple years. Travis and Chelsea were dealing with infertility and they had had miscarriage after miscarriage. And in the middle of that, Travis's dad passed away from cancer and Travis and Chelsea were at the lowest low that they've been through in life. And in that time, even though they felt terrified and they felt abandoned by God, And they felt like God didn't care. They chose to cling to faith. And you know what Chelsea did during that season? Every week she'd find a different Bible verse. And she'd write it out on a note card and she'd put it up on the mirror in their bathroom. And every week, even though their emotions said God's not with us, he doesn't care for us, they said we're going to choose faith over feelings. We're going to choose faith over fear, just like Nehemiah did. And they kept putting those verses up and they kept praying. And guess what? They didn't quit coming to church. They didn't quit with their small group. And their small group gathered around them. And their small group showed them through meals and through hugs and through just being together that God had not abandoned them. And in time... God provided a miracle, the birth of their daughter, Paisley, that only God could do. I was talking with Chelsea yesterday. I said, hey, how are things going? I want to update the church on how you guys are doing. And she said, we just got approved for foster care, and we're going to get our first foster child this next week. So the miracles God does, they don't always go the way we want, at the speed we want, but they end up being bigger than we dreamed. So pray for Chelsea and Travis as they step into now a second child in addition to their biological child. The point is they claimed the word of God for their situation. Here's a question for you. If you knew for sure the thing you're praying about right now, if you knew for sure that six months from today God would answer that prayer, then what would you do now to prepare yourself? Does that make sense? If you knew for sure six months from today, God's going to open the door. He's going to answer the prayer. What would you need to do today to start preparing yourself? And that's actually the second part of how you can be in action is you prepare by faith for the miracle. You prepare by faith. Let me give you a couple examples of this from my life. At a time when I had written a book about pain and suffering, and it was just on my heart to get it to as many people who are hurting as possible. And so I was praying, I was kneeling at the side of my bed every night saying, God, how do we get this to as many people as possible? And because I used to work as a journalist, I know a number of TV and newspaper journalists around the country. And I said, God, you know, if it's your will, it'd be so neat 
for this book to be featured on a, like a national TV program where millions of people are watching. I know that's a miracle only you could do. And God, you know my heart. It's not about like me being on TV, but if it's your will, open this door so that millions of people can hear about this book and those who are in pain and suffering can connect with you. And, I, and for about a year, I prayed that prayer, sending emails to old friends and colleagues wondering, is God ever going to open this door? And one day I get an email back from a national news TV personality who says, I want to have you on next week. And it was this moment where God opened the door. And guess what? I could have been like, oh no, I've never been on TV before. What do I do? Which I was. <laughs> but here's the thing. By faith, I had been reading up. Like, how do you do a TV interview? What do you wear? What do you not say? How do you make sure you don't pick your nose? Like, I, I had been preparing in a way that surrendered, you know, God, maybe you won't open that door and maybe you'll connect this book to people who are hurting some other way, but I'm praying you open this door and if you do, I've got my shoes laced up and I'm ready to walk through it. Does that make sense? I'll give you another example. It's, it's uh, maybe doesn't seem as spiritual, but it was for me when Mel and I prayed about Indianapolis. We prayed for five years. God, would you someday let us lead a movement for you in the Indianapolis area? And there was a time when we were leading a church in Arizona and the door that God opened was in California. And it was so clear that God was calling us to walk through that door. And we said, but that's like the opposite direction. <laughs> and, and, and God said, go. And we went and we just kept praying. It took five years for that dream to be realized. When we started adopting our youngest daughter, Evie, we started when she was a week old. It took us three years to get her home. So you pray by faith and then you prepare an action. You say, God, whatever you can do. Once we interviewed here and we felt like, yeah, we're called here. God's calling us to this church. The housing market was super tight. And we're like, I know from being a pastor before, we want to live close to the church because I'll be back and forth like every other minute, okay? So we want to live within about six minutes of the church. There's only one house at the time we were moving here. There was only one house available in that radius, and the, the day that it listed, it went under contract for sale. And it was, a, it was like a, a great offer, and it was a cash offer. And our realtor's like, yeah, there's, there's just nothing you can do. It's a cash offer. I said, ah, eh, we know a guy. <laughs> we know the God of heaven. He's not limited by this stuff. And I said, we're going to put in a backup offer, and I'm just going to kneel at my bed every night, and we're going to pray that somehow that contract falls through. Because I'm sure God loves those people who want it, but he loves us more. So he's like, well, it's not likely, but go ahead. So what did we do? We put the backup offer in by faith. And I started my thing, kneeling at my bed. For about two weeks, I'm kneeling every night. God, you know the best place to raise our family. This isn't about, like, you know, getting stuff. This is about, God, we want a home to raise our family in. We, we want to be in the best place that you have for us to do ministry. And if this is your will, then let it fall out of contract with the other people. Guess what? Two weeks later, I get a text message from our realtor. Hey, the, the cash buyer didn't show up at closing. They had showed they had the money, but they just didn't show up at closing, and now the house is yours. God works as we pray and we say, God, I'm surrendered to you. If it's not your will, if there's another way, that's fine. I want your plan. But if this is your way, then open the door, and I'm going to prepare by faith. And then we step boldly when he does open the door. We saw that with Nehemiah. He's praying by faith. And then the door opens and he's terrified and he could have backpedaled, but he steps forward. 
And some of you are here and you're like, you know, I just, I don't like churchy people. I don't like churchy stuff. I don't want to go to a marriage class at a church. Well, guess what? That's the door God opened for you if you really want to get your marriage dialed in. You say, well, I don't want to go to a finance class at church. I have all these reasons why I think that's not a good idea. Guess what? People who go through our finance class pay off tens of thousands of dollars of debt. They turn their lives around financially. It's nationally known material. God's opened the door. The question is, will you step through it? So we pray by faith and then we commit to action. God has opened doors for you today. And I just want to encourage you, keep walking through these doors. Keep watching these messages. And as you go out today, there's a door for you if you're hurting in, uh, because you're going through a divorce or because you've lost a loved one or you just need a group of men around you or women around you or a small group around you. There's a door for you out at that lobby display that you can walk through. God's waiting to do the miracle. He says, as you believe, so it will be done unto you. Will you step out in faith? Well, I told you at the beginning about baby Bryson Mark and Shannon's son, and those weeks which turned into months of wondering, will he survive, and will we ever get him home, and what I saw in Mark and Shannon is they committed to God in prayer, and then they committed to God in action. I mean, I remember a time, this was about a month or two in, Bryson was still in the intensive care unit for the little babies. And I show up, and Shannon's there to put my microphone on. I'm like, what, what are you doing here? She's like, well, we want to keep serving. We know as we keep serving God and keep putting him first in our lives, he's going to take care of us. So this morning for our early classic service, our 8 o'clock service, I walk in there, and guess who's laying on the ground cooing and playing? Baby Bryson. Here's a picture of him this last week at his grandma's house. And this is my favorite picture of him because I'm a car guy. <laughs> he's next to his dad's F-150 and he's got his own F-150 there. And, you know, here's what I love. Mark and Shannon, they're just as human and real as you and me. And they'd be the first to tell you we were terrified a lot of days. We didn't know how it was going to end. We didn't know what was going to happen. But they kept putting their faith in the God of heaven. They said, God, we're committed to your plan, your way of life. We'll do it your way and God has worked a miracle. I know he wants to do the same for you, but only you can choose. Will you actually pray? And then will you actually step out? I want to pray that for you right now. Father, across this room, Lord, you see what's tipped over in our lives. You see what's broken in our lives. And God, I just pray for every one of my brothers and sisters. Lord, where we feel the pain, would you help us to keep bringing it to you? And then God, as we bring it to you, would you give us faith to believe in you as the God of heaven, not only a compassionate God, but an all-powerful God, a God who has the resources to change hearts, to change circumstances. God, so often we're waiting for you to do a miracle for us, and you're waiting because you want to do a miracle in us. And we don't get that miracle in us until we actually engage with you as the God of heaven and say, you can fix this, so fix what's broken in me. God, if six months from now I'm going to wake up next to a perfect spouse, then today I'm going to start making myself someone who deserves to live with a perfect spouse. Only you can change my spouse's heart, but today I can start preparing to be a husband or a wife who deserves to be married to an ideal person. God, all the things that are tipped over and broken in our lives, we commit today to praying about them night and day. 
kneeling at our beds or whatever other way we remember physically every day, this is my time I pray. And then God, we commit to action. We will claim your word. We will prepare, we'll lace up our shoes. And then God, as you open the door, we will step through it. Knowing that just like Nehemiah, one door leads to another and another and another. And the big miracle happened for Nehemiah because every door you opened, he stepped through by faith, believing that the God of heaven would provide, believing that the God of heaven is for us, wants to help us. You wanna do miracles in our lives, Lord. Make us people who align for them. We pray in Jesus' name, amen.